Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is MJ. And I'm Liz. And we're your host of Sisters in Crime. Hi guys, this is Liz and I'm back. Welcome back, sis. Hey, sis. I'm excited to be back. We're excited to have you back. And to celebrate your return, we'll be talking about a case that neither of us has heard before. Well, now I have, but you haven't. Today we'll be talking about a love triangle turned deadly. Let's get started. Diane Zamora was born on January 21st, 1978. Growing up, she was a pretty quiet kid, always well-behaved, and very responsible. In 1991, Diane signed up to volunteer at the Texas Civil Air Patrol. It was here where Diane met David Graham. David was a star athlete on track to join the Air Force after high school. The day the two met, they talked about their future career goals. Diane talked about becoming an astronaut, while David talked about joining the Air Force. They hit it off pretty well and remained friends after realizing they only lived about 30 minutes from each other, one town over. When they met, Diane and David were only 14 years old, but fast forward four years later, the two are now 17 and high school seniors. After reconnecting, they realized that they had more in common than they thought. They began spending more and more time together now that they could drive and actually see each other regularly. Quickly, their love for each other became more romantic than friendly, and David decided it was time to officially ask Diane to be his girlfriend. They began dating in August of 1995, and one month later, they announced that they were engaged. The families of Diane and David mentioned that their relationship became toxic almost immediately. Although David seemed like a clean-cut young man, he was possessive of Diane. How so? Well, for example, David always had to be holding Diane. Okay, holding her how? Because that doesn't seem weird. Well, holding her by the arm, the shoulder, side-hugging her. And he would only do this to keep an eye out on Diane, not because he was being affectionate. He was very much controlling. Regardless, the two had set a date for their wedding. August 13th, 2000. Wait, they were going to wait five years? Well, they did that because they did not want to interfere with their plans after high school. You know, they both wanted to go to college, get their degrees um, prior to getting married. And honestly, that isn't the worst idea. As I mentioned earlier, Diane and David lived in different small towns. Diane lived in Crawley and David lived in Mansfield, Texas. I was born and raised in Texas, yet I have never heard of either of these towns. Me neither, but you have to consider that Texas is huge. Literally, I only know the major cities. But anyways, to give you a better idea of where the towns are located, they're about 15 miles south of Fort Worth and about 15 miles from each other, so not far whatsoever. Living in different towns meant that they went to different schools. Diane was of course attending Crawley High School and David was attending Mansfield High School. Like I said, David was a track star and being in his senior year meant that he would usually mentor and be the example to his fellow lower classmen and teammates. This obviously got him lots of attention from fellow classmates. One of those classmates was Adrian Jones. Adrian was a 16-year-old sophomore also on the track team. 
Although she was like Diane when it came to her education, the two were very different when it came to socializing. She was outgoing, she had a large friend group, and loved going out with her friends. Adrian was also very, very gorgeous and a star athlete, so it wasn't a surprise that she caught David's eye too. But the two of them were not obvious about their mutual attraction. After everything happened, fellow classmates and even their coach commented that they seemed like nothing more than acquaintances. The two rarely spoke to each other in public other than the regular teammate banter, but since Adrian was a sophomore and David was a senior with plans to join the Air Force, and let's not forget that he is in fact engaged, no one ever suspected anything was going on between the two. To be fair, I think we've all crushed on an upperclassman before. Oh girl, I was in love with a senior as a freshman. Shout out to Mark, I have no idea whatever happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, back to Adrian. I was reading that her parents were also super strict with her. How so? Like, for example, she had super early curfew at 9 p.m., even on the weekends. Girl, that was us too in high school. I know, but her parents went as far as requesting evidence about her whereabouts. What? Really? What kind of evidence? Like, if she said she was going to the movies, her parents wanted the ticket stub. And if she was going to a restaurant, they wanted a receipt. I don't know, just like weird stuff like that. Oh no, girl, that's too much. And I thought my dad was strict literally i feel like we had so much freedom compared to this but why were they like that has she given them reasons to try and keep her so controlled no and that's the problem apparently they were just trying to quote unquote protect her but i'm gonna save my opinions to the end on the night of november 4th 1995 not even three months into diane and david's relationship david drove to lubbock texas for a track meet david gets to lubbock and competes Obviously, his teammates are all there, including Adrian. At the end of the track meet, Adrian asked David for a ride home. I can definitely understand why, because no one wants to ride the bus right after a sporting event. David says yes, and the two get into David's vehicle. Per David's confession, David claims that Adrian was giving him directions to steer him away from their destination, aka taking the long way home. Lubbock to Mansfield's already a 5-hour drive. How much longer of a drive can you take? Regardless, David states that Adrian led him to the parking lot of an elementary school where it was completely dark. One thing led to another and the two had sex in the car. David didn't go into much detail, thankfully, in his confession, but says that after the two were finished, they continued home. David claims that he knew what he did was wrong, quote, They go completely against the moral background I have grown to appreciate. They were sexual activities short-lived and hardly appreciated, end quote. David drops off Adrian at her house and drives to Diane's house. When he knocks and Diane sees him, per her confession, she claims she knew something was wrong off the bat. Okay, um, let's backtrack a little bit. Did Adrian know that Diane exists? From what I'm about to talk about in a little bit, she was aware that David had a girlfriend. Was she aware that Diane was his fiance? I'm not sure, but I think she knew that, that Diane existed. Diane didn't feel like questioning David. She knew that he had just spent about 10 hours road trip driving, plus competing, and maybe he was just tired. She invited David to spend the night, so he did. The next day, David says he was feeling guilty. How could he have done this to Diane? His regret was eased when he confided in his friend about his infidelity. He made his friend promise not to say a word about this to anyone because he wanted to be the one to tell Diane himself. Well, that's bold. David held on to his secret for a month, but it was eating him alive. 
How could he look at Diane in the eyes? How could he hear Diane speak about their perfect relationship, knowing what he did? On this day, Diane and David were sitting outside of Diane's house in David's car. Diane was questioning David about his ex-girlfriends. At this point, Diane had been suspicious about David and she knew that he was hiding something from her, but she didn't know what, so she's obviously asking questions to try to see if there's anything she's asking that's going to rub him the wrong way. David claims that Diane was his very first real girlfriend. That didn't mean he never went on a date with anyone else, but they were just that, dates. David named several girls that he had interacted with, one of which was Adrian. In her confession, Diane claims that she had a gut feeling about Adrian. The two decided to head inside of Diane's house, but Adrian lingered in Diane's head. When they got inside, they began to argue because David was trying to get Diane to study for her SATs and that was the last thing on her mind. The arguing stopped and calmly David told Diane, quote, I have something to tell you that is really important. Diane said she already knew. She knew what David was going to say, but she wanted to hear him say it. David explains how he cheated on her. David claims that it was meaningless and didn't even know why he did it. But to Diane, this was the end of the world. She starts to go off on him, yelling, kicking, throwing things, banging her head against the wall and the floor. David claims he felt like the light in her eyes died out. Her soul was taken away from her that very moment. Quote, she was angry, she was violent, and she was broken. David was trying his best to protect himself and Diane from hurting herself, but Diane just didn't want to live anymore. Her home life was crumbling and the only real stability she had was David, and now that was gone too. Diane remembers telling David to kill her. Kill who? Adrian? Yes! Are you serious? Yes. Diane was not joking either. She felt like this was the only way David could regain her trust and to prove to her that she was the only one that he loves. In her confession, she says, quote, David promised that he would do that and David has never broken a promise to me before. David explains that he did not want to risk losing Diane. He didn't really want to hurt Adrian because he felt like this really wasn't her fault, but he made a promise to his fiance, which he broke and now he had to fix. In his confession, David says, quote, Diane gave me an ultimatum. I thought long and hard about how to carry out the crime. I was stupid, but I was in love. And now a quick word from today's sponsor. They were set on killing her, but how? They figured they would lure Adrian out of her home in the middle of the night using David as bait. On December 3rd, David called Adrian to ask her if she wanted to meet up again. Obviously, we don't know what's going through Adrian's head, but we know that she agreed to meet up with David. David told her to keep a lookout at around 12.30 a.m., the early hours of December 4th, because that's the time that he was planning on picking her up. At this point, David and Diane are getting ready for what's to come. Diane explains that the original plan was to break Adrian's neck and drown her body in a lake. The two of them were running late, packing up everything they needed to carry out their crime into a duffel bag. David spent the majority of the time trying to keep Diane calm enough to leave the house. At this point, it's well past 1am, they are way behind schedule. They arrived to Adrian's house an hour late around 1.35am. Wait, Diane was there? She was in the car, but she was hiding in the trunk. And it's not clear what kind of car David drove, but I'm assuming it's a hatchback based on what I'm about to tell y'all. But yeah, if Adrian got in the car, she wouldn't have seen Diane right away. Once Adrian is in the car, David drives for what feels like forever until he finally pulls over near a lake. 
Adrian reclined her seat, and when David was leaning in to kiss her, David signaled Diane. Okay, so Adrian went with the intention of having sex with David? I mean, what else do you meet up with somebody for past midnight? Yeah, yeah, you got a point there. (laughs) Once David was leaning in to kiss Adrian, he signaled Diane, so Diane reached over to grab Adrian, but Adrian was not going down without a fight. David held Adrian down and told her that they just wanted to talk. Diane asked Adrian about the sex with David, and according to Diane, Adrian says that she didn't enjoy it because she felt so guilty about the whole thing. Hearing those words set Diane off. She remembers yelling, just do it, to David, who began wrestling with Adrian. Diane felt like things were getting way out of hand, so she reached back to grab one of the weights they planned to use to drown Adrian's body and tossed it at her, hitting her in the head. In the commotion, Adrian was able to escape through the window and took off running. Remember, she's a track star, so she's very fast, but she was also a little bit discombobulated from taking a brick to the head. The couple followed Adrian in the car to catch up with her, but Adrian didn't make it too far when she collapsed. David exited the vehicle, grabbing his 9mm gun on the way out. When he approached Adrian, David thought that she was already dead, but he couldn't risk her waking up, so he pointed his gun and shot Adrian. Twice. David ran back to his car. In her confession, Diane states, quote, I remember the first words out of his mouth were, I love you, baby. Do you believe me now? I said, yes, I believe you. I love you too. End quote. Yeah, this is not okay. The couple drove in silence and arrived at the home of Jacob Green. Okay, who the hell is Jacob Green? Jacob Green is just one of David's friends. He snuck the couple through his window and let them clean up. Honestly, not the smartest move. Okay, wouldn't this classify him as an accessory after the fact? Yes, ma'am. Let the people know what that is, sis. So a person who's considered an accessory after the fact is someone who helps someone after they just committed a crime. In this instance, by letting David and Diane clean up at your house, you're helping them look less guilty and facilitating their getaway, making him an accessory after the fact. Once they changed into fresh clothes, the couple dumped David's bloody clothes into a dumpster on their way to Diane's house. When they got to her house, David was so sick to his stomach to even clean the blood off the car. Diane sent him inside so she could clean and later joined him in the bed. How can I even sleep like this? I don't think they've got much sleep, to be honest. Hours later, David's dad called him to wake him up for school. Did you hear? They found a girl dead in Mansfield. David and Diane's hearts sank to their stomachs. We're caught. Adrian's body had been found pretty quickly obviously, but there were no suspects yet. Diane and David proceeded with school as normal, or as normal as they could. David remembers an announcement made over the intercom about Adrian's death and how the whole room was in disbelief. Winter break comes and goes, and eventually the couple attends each other's high school graduation and life is back to normal. David enlists in the Air Force and heads off to basic training, and Diane heads to the Naval Academy. David was doing very well and proved to be the ideal military man, but Diane was struggling. She was used to being attached to the hip to David and in boot camp, there's hardly any communication outside the boot camp. Guilt was eating Diane alive. Not having David around to share her secret made it that much harder to keep silent. 
One night on August of 96, Diane confessed to her roommates about what she and David had done, justifying their actions by claiming that their love was worth it. The roommates were completely shocked and scared, rightfully so. I mean, I would be too. They've been sharing a room with a killer this entire time and had no clue? Exactly. The roommates decided to report Diane to their naval chaplain. Once the chaplain was aware, he reported Diane to a naval attorney who then contacted the Dallas-Fort Worth police. The news that David was involved spread like wildfire and police questioned the couple. The couple denied being involved in the murders, however, they were both arrested not long after in September after police found Adrian's blood in David's car. David had also agreed to take a polygraph, which he failed, and later confessed to the murder, so he was arrested. Two days later, Diane is also arrested and later confesses to her involvement. On September 18, 1996, the prosecutors officially charged both Diane and David with capital murder. Capital murder means they're eligible for death penalty, correct? Yes, and Texas has the highest number of executions, totaling 569, and not even close behind in second place is Virginia with 113. So Texas is pretty loosey-goosey with the death penalty. However, the family of Adrian did not want the death penalty on the table. To them, this was an easy way out for the couple. This wasn't justice, this was freedom. At the request of the Jones family, the death penalty was taken off the table. Finally, over two years after Adrian's murder, it is announced that Diane's trial is scheduled to start February 2nd of 1998. Diane requested that her confession was kept out of the trial, but the judge ruled against it and her trial began. Diane was put on the stand to testify on her behalf. In her testimony, she claims she never intended to kill Adrian. She only wanted to confront her for having an affair with David. She literally told David to kill her. Well, that's exactly why she didn't want the confession letter in the trial. She claimed she only confessed so that the police would let her see David and that she wasn't aware of her rights before writing the letter, even though in the letter she writes down what her rights are and acknowledges them. In her testimony, she also talks a lot about how David was very abusive to her through the course of their relationship. 13 days from the start of the trial, the jury begins to deliberate. Two days later, on February 17, 1998, the jury found Diane Zamora guilty of capital murder and the death of Adrian Jones. She was sentenced to life in prison, eligible for parole in 40 years. Months later, on July 15, 1998, David's trials began. His confession letter was also allowed. David's trial was quick and nine days later, without any testimony by him, he was sentenced to life in prison, eligible for parole in 40 years. Alright guys, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Is this your first time hearing the case? If so, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Definitely let us know. Liz, where can they find us? Head over to our Instagram at Sisters and Crime Pod or visit our Facebook page at Sisters and Crime Podcast to chime in under this episode's post. We thank you for your support in listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to leave us a rate on Apple Podcasts or shoot us a DM with any feedback. This show was created for you and we want to improve in any way that you guys see fit. And don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode. Until then, bye! bye.